So I'll just do an intro and then we'll go from there. Hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to meet with old friends, find new friends and learn something. And along the way, share that with you so that we can all enjoy this information together and hopefully make our horses lives better. So that's really the goal of all these webinars is that we can get information that may not normally be available because of our busy lives and the busy lives of my guests. But fortunately through Zoom, we can actually bring this all together and have this available for you. So just remember to subscribe to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel so you get a notification every time we put up another webinar. And remember, we are in our five, second week of our five-week contest for our fifth anniversary of Surefoot Pads. So if you haven't gone to Facebook, go there, go to Fans of Surefoot or the Surefoot Facebook page and enter the contest. You have to enter all five contests to be eligible for week six when we give away a full pack of pads. It's over a thousand dollar value. So even if you missed a week's um, drawing, because we draw every Friday, you can still go back and enter into all the previous weeks so that you're registered for week six when we do the grand prize. So just check all that out on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And um, we're so excited. It's been fabulous so far. Really, really uh, thrilled to see how many horses that Surefoot's helping and it just makes my heart sing. Today, my guest is Anna Tweeney, and we have not actually met in person, but we've been kind of dancing around for a long time. A lot of uh, sort of parallel courses and tracks, and I think um, a lot of common, common friends. Um, so welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Wendy, and I totally concur. I know a lot of people you know, a lot of locations that you've been to hear only good things, and it's my pleasure to finally meet you, <laughs> albeit virtually, but finally meet you. And I was really excited to, to be able to join in. You mentioned the Shawfoot, and, and one of our joint friends, mutual friends, Dr. Rachel Hart, is such a... Um, advocate of it and has been bringing the surefoot with her to all the chiropractic adjustments on my horses so despite the fact i haven't met you in person i've met you with one degree of separation with a number of people and appreciated what you're bringing into the world oh i i love rachel she is one of my fab uh, she's just a great fan but she's a great person and she um uh was with me at aap yeah. in denver and we had a blast. It was really fun. And she drug all these vets over to my booth. And uh, she's just a really, she's a gem. She's a super person. So that's, I didn't realize that we had Rachel yes. in common. So that's really absolutely. Fun. So you have an accent. So clearly you are not from the US. Where are you from? <laughs> it, yes, I'm from Britain. And I was born in Britain, but I was raised in Germany, despite the fact I don't have a German accent. I was there till I was 16, and then I returned back to Britain. I've been in the United States 22 years, and it started in California. I was out in California for eight years, and then Colorado for 22, all in, oh, well, all in 22 years. And now, most recently during the pandemic, we moved to North Carolina. So we've literally shifted from one state with a C to another C, and then this is the final landing place to place some roots down. We're, in We're North really Carolina. excited to call this. Oh, we're near Lake Lua, and that's 20 minutes or 15 minutes from Tryon, so the largest equestrian center in the U.S. We're only 20 minutes up the road. Not planned that way. It happened that way. That's awesome. So, so Anna, um, I assume that you had horses back in, in the U.K. and in Germany when you were growing up? I did. I don't class myself as one of the fortunate individuals that was born into an equine family. And it's really more of the traditional ways and means where I was one of those children that wished she had and wished she could afford. And so I hung out the barns, any barn to help out no matter how I could in the old fashioned way where you you are mucking, you are grooming, you're prepping horses in order to get the support you could seek. I feel like we were looked down at those barn, barn rats and I wasn't fortunate with mum totally fearful of horses and my father getting anaphylactic shocks. Oh. So everything was stacked against me, not for me. But despite these obstacles, it was clearly meant to be. Yeah. So, so that's a challenge, especially with your dad. Did you have to like strip all your clothes off before you went in the house? 
It, it was a big deal that never the twain could meet ultimately. So it's a matter of this was my pastime, my my activity, my hobby. And in those days in Germany, vaulting, it all began with the vaulting, so gymnastics on horseback. And I love that. And I, I'm a strong believer that that created the foundation for my seat. And it stood me in a good place when I ended up going to Monty Roberts in California, right place, right time to become his head instructor. I was riding the racehorses out there. And I believe that all came from the vaulting and learning how to do around the world and stand on a horse's back at a canter. And that, you know, Wendy, now you'd laugh. Now I'm gonna not put myself in a good light, but now if I had to stand on a horse's back, I would get frightened because of vertigo. In those oh. days you're cantering on a horse's back, but now, no, those days are long past, but it was a great way to begin my life with horses. And so how old were and you work in the vaulting? I was, I started around the 10 mark with the vaulting and it was a good German foundation, which meant that you would be doing it all at a walk first and you'd have to graduate to the fact that you could do it all at a canter. And although I probably wasn't the most athletic individual in the sense of being able to do aerobics on horseback, my drive, my commitment was always there. And I guess, Wendy, that's the big piece my whole career if you had to look at anything it's my drive um never never the one that people would look at and go she's the one destined but always the one to have the biggest heart to say I will work 12 14 hours a day to be able to hear these horses speak and to be able to bring the best of me forward that's what I was doing all the time you know I think you bring up a really good point because I've had students where they're very talented but they had you know, they were doing it for someone else. They weren't doing it for themselves. And then you, and you also see it with the horses. You might see this. I remember when I was at the Keeneland sales, there was a horse that sold for $10 million. He was perfectly conformed. He couldn't run out of a paper bag and he was impotent. So just having the confirmation or the, the ability doesn't mean that you're going to succeed because you have to have that drive. And I totally relate to that because that's the same story for my life is um, in spite of, of the obstacles, I grew up in, in a tack, in a school barn yeah. and was a barn rat. So I totally relate to that. I didn't have a, you know, a horsey family. Um, I was the one who was constantly begging them for lessons. So I, I totally relate to that. So, so Anna, you, you were in Germany and then you went back to the UK. I did. I went back to the UK around 16 and and in those days, too, it's traditional to find a career that would last you 30 years. That was the big thing of you're successful in England if you have letters after your name. You're successful if you find your place. And so, again, it wasn't, it wasn't encouraged to go into the horse world in any way. And so I ended up becoming a police officer and I was a police officer for eight years. And I was also the first police officer in the history of the UK to join with my then husband. We were the first married couple to join and that was huge. And, and I've always looked at going back and forward. I always looked at why did I get chosen to become a head instructor at a facility? I had the dedication, but I also had integrity and I had the ability to set up, um, set up a school, had the ability to read people. And so there's many things that in the Britain that you have when you start on that career path because you learn communication. And not everybody will know that's listening in, but today they still don't have any weapons. Then they had no weapons. And it was always about the person going in, laying the foundation and evaluating the situation through communication and connection. And in Britain, we always came in at a lower level, not to create fights, flight and, and so on. And so everything that I learned with people, which is often backwards for horse women, I took to the horses. Everything I learned to become equal, to, to listen to the horses, all came from that foundation. I might not have been the quickest, I might not have been the most talented, so to speak, but I had a skill to observe and to read. And in order to stay alive in England, you had to read a situation very, very well. So, so how long were you a policewoman? Eight years on and off, there were different roles that I played and partially part-time for a little bit, but eight years on and off. And 
And it's much like a footballer, a soccer star, you end up getting accolades. So you end up learning different skills. So for example, to be child victim trained or major investigative interview trained or rape trained. So these are all things that I learned and you end up having these accolades. So you become more valuable to that particular police force. And so gradually you learn those skills to be supportive. And I was always the voice, the voice for the, I always said the voice for the underdog. For me, it was about fixing situations, finding the cause, helping the individuals that couldn't help themselves. And little did I know that that would be the foundation for my horse whispering. That would be the foundation for my animal communication. I find this so fascinating. Were you ever on the mounted police force or, or you never got to combine? No. Correct. It was called uh, Dead Man's Shoes and what that meant, or the Dead Man's Boots, which meant was once you were in that role, those officers would stay there. There was no other way to get in there. And so if they had eight people on there, they would be staying till they retired and there was not a chance to get on it. And yes, that would have been a dream of mine, but it was not a possibility. Right. So, so you were a policewoman in the UK with your former husband. Um, yes. Was he on the same unit as you or was he in a totally different area? Different unit, different area. They didn't place us together and very talented in other areas too. So he was an instant response driver. And in those days too, they also put women in where this is where I can relate to horses too, because they would put you in the role they felt you should go in. So if you were good on a computer, which I was, I was one of the top people, they put me into investigations on the computer instead of detective out on the street. If I was good on managing a situation, I became dispatched. If I was good enlisting information to find out what the officer needed on dispatch. So they put you where your skill level was high, but not where my desire was. Well, but and that, so for that's me, really again, that became some of the horsemanship to go, where's, yeah, where, where really does the horse want to be? Same as your racehorse you mentioned. When I was at Monty's, yeah, we had million-dollar racehorses, and I looked at, there was one called Sam, and Sam couldn't get out of bed in the mornings out of the stall and his desire and heart wasn't in it. So he was placed as a racehorse because he was a thoroughbred and his breeding was good, but he didn't want it. And so for me, it's always become in problem solving. It's always become about magnify their purpose, find out their voice. What is it that they really want? Read between the lines, stand up for the underdog. And I look at that to go, I would have never thought it because I left all of that behind that it would resurface in another way. You know, this is why I love interviewing all my guests and digging into their past because what I always find is there's something in the past that, that they bring forward and then becomes their passion and it becomes yeah. the, what they're doing. No one ever just instantly wakes up one morning and says, I'm gonna be whatever. There's something about yeah. our experiences. And I, I think that my point being that so many people that I know have the incredible experiences and wealth of knowledge, but don't realize they can capitalize on it and turn it into their passion and profession. And that's one of the things why I just love digging a bit into people's past to see how did you get here? So, okay. So you're a policewoman yeah. for, for eight years and then what, what, why did you quit? So then <sighs> <laughs> Good question. I love that you bit that you didn't go with them. Well, then you went, why did you quit? So interesting way. So um, three paths led to Flaggers Up Farms. Three paths led to Monty Roberts is the best way to say it. And so partially I had an incredible horse. Carrie is her name. She's alive today. She's in her thirties and she's a Palomino. And it's hard to think of this, but in the 1990s palominos in britain were frowned upon they were a minority and they could not be welcome in certain shows and so on and she was very hot we were both blondes she was very hot and people judges would look at her and they would judge her she was a thoroughbred irish draft crossed and she was a little bit challenging to handle and so Everybody advised me, go stronger and harder, get the strong bits, get the whips, get the spurs. And it didn't feel right. And I did not know any different. I not necessarily went down that route, but I did have the Pelham bit. I did not have spurs. 
I did choose the whip as a form of communication and I was still hesitant and I did not have the answers. And so to watch Carrie, who's very headstrong, she's a leader and she's a trailblazer and not know what's right, but intuitively know that this was not the answer to say, be firmer, tell her who's boss, put her in her place never felt right to the point where my gut would churn, my throat would close, I get tearful today, uh, which you wouldn't necessarily think of as police officer, but for me it was all about doing the right thing, being an empath, getting to the core of things. So she was one reason, she wasn't the only reason. I also had a head-on car accident, and so that was a big part in it, to say that it could have been worse, but it was a part. And then on top of that, I was a rape trained police officer and they never evaluated police officers to see if they were equipped. And nobody ever told me that the body cannot decipher the difference between imagination and truth. And so my body having dealt with so many cases began to respond in a very negative way. And I had no explanation because I had not had abuse. I, I checked deep, hard and fast in every direction to go, why am I responding this way when I don't believe anything's happened to me? And that means going down the road of, are you blacking it out? Have you forgotten? Have you done this? So it took a long time to look at it, to go, what's happening to you? And why are you not as strong as other women police officers? And why, why are you failing these women when I'm one of the best people to take statements that my cases would succeed? So why am I failing? Why is my body failing me? All three paths led me to him. And he was demonstrating for the Queen of England, endorsed by the Queen, went to him. Now, here's where the stars aligned, because the emotional, mental, physical, and horse, everything aligned to say, you need time off. That's where the police said. They basically said, you know what, girl, you need time off. You either have time off or you're going, to, you're going to hit the wall hard physically and emotionally. You're not going to make it, basically. You're not going to make it as a police officer. You're far too sentient. They didn't call it that. They said your emotional piece is flying off the charts and you're not equipped for this. And it basically means I'm an empath and I'm sentient. And so everything led there. And then I watched him in demo and was invited to California. I took a year off. I took a year off and the vision in those days, Wendy was to say, you know what? I'm gonna take this to the police force. I'm gonna learn horse whispering to help police officers because there's no help for them. They let them crash and burn. And then they basically fire them to go, wow, you crashed and burned, off you go. You can't handle this instead of giving them the right help. The other side to that, was also that the victims were numbers and it was a matter of go take the statement, move on, go take the statement, move on. And there wasn't the help for the women. And I thought we were failing them of, we need to help them not just take a statement, but our hands were tied. And everybody put it down to the police to go, well, they're moving on and they don't care. Yes, I care. I had no more time to go back. Yes, I care. I wasn't authorized to go back. And I felt that we were failing everybody. So I went out to flag us up with a view to learn horse whispering to bring it back to first responders. I so class myself before my time. Yeah, go ahead. What year was that? That was 1997 when I crashed and burned, <laughs> 1998 when I went out there. And it, you know, it, it was an interesting one because I, th I thought like every, you'll relate to this. I feel like everybody thinks they can become a horse whisperer quickly. I thought that too. Everybody thinks you can, become a life coach quickly. I thought it too, because I'd done eight years in the, the force. And then, you know, I'm there looking at it going, you want to take this to the police force, you better be the best you can be. And that's going to take just a tad longer than a year. And so I'd taken a year's sabbatical and they wrote to me and said, are you ready to come back? And I thought, I'm, I'm not ready. And furthermore, my then husband stated, this is your destiny. You need to move to California and I cannot come on this path with you. This is your destiny. And so the, the letter was signed to go, I'm all in. I've, I've given up my career, my horse, my home, my dog, my husband. I have nothing left other than me. I'm all in. 
And so I dove right in and and I was the only one there that gave up everything. And often we call it, we, we lost everything, but I didn't. I did give it all up and I dedicated my life to listening to the horse and went, you, you have nothing, you've got nowhere to go, Anna. You've got no career, you've got no husband. There's no turning back because there's no, nobody to catch you. So you can only go forward and you're gonna do that with heart and soul. And so I'm a little so unique because it was 12 hours a day, heart and soul at that place well it's just it's just so fascinating to listen to you because say again uh, for me it's so fascinating to listen to you and to your story because i can relate to it so well um in 1984 i had a horse roll over on me and break my hip pocket but in 86 my dog was killed i lost my home my car broke you know, I moved back in with my mother and I wound up going with Robin Hood from the Tea Touch to Australia for a year. And I would never have done that. Oh, oh, sorry. lost everything, and especially my dog. I had to give my horse away. I, it's so fascinating to listen to you because yeah. I can so relate to this story of the universe just deciding, bam, oh no, nope, I'm going to completely change your life here right now. Be done with it. Right. So that's just, you're the only other person I've known where that kind of oh, sort wow. of uh, stripping away has occurred. So it's really uh, amazing. It's huge. It's, it's every aspect that would hold you back, you know, and for me, the marriage was for life. He was a childhood sweetheart. It was for life. And so I would not have broken it. I went back to England and I said, we're married. I'm not doing this. And he packed up the house around me. He packed it up and he handed the keys back in and he said there there is no marriage you have to follow your destiny so I don't even have the credit for it and then you know to see it stripped away to the point where there was only one road for me to fulfill it now the choice came with you always have choices so you can stay back and and face the music which would have looked pretty damn ugly or you can move forward and in it I know I don't deny that you have to process it so it, neither is it that magical everything's great in paradise there's still a ton of processing and gratitude you know long-term gratitude but short-term processing to go I'm grieving my my horse I'm grieving my German shepherd you say you lost I I mean I get tears now major was my world and I had to grieve it because people will look at me and go, how could you have given them up? I couldn't have given them up. I couldn't have given him up. I didn't choose to give him up. And they go, you made a choice. You left. No, it was my destiny. And if anybody's ever had a pull on the heartstrings, they'll know you, you cannot fail your destiny. And that's what people find hard to go. If we, you chose that. Yes, I did. And no, I didn't. It, it's it, there. There is a choice in that you choose to move forward instead of to yes. dwell in all of the loss. But there's huge loss, yeah. and there is grieving. And yeah. I, you know, I I can remember my time in Australia that it wasn't all joyful. There was a lot of processing and 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 processing all the things that had happened. But at the same time, it's I'm sure you felt this. You don't have you put one foot in front of the other and you keep moving forward. Yeah that is where you are going and it's not you know you can fight it but that is where you're going so go yeah <laughs> yeah and and I think also people often think when I'm taking the right path everything will be peachy and everything will be fun mine was not I you know I <laughs> didn't get a lot of money I ended up living in a 12 by 12 horse store for a little bit and I went into a shitty relationship and so you look at it to go, if you want the sign on the wall, every sign was challenging. It was not easy. And it wasn't about, hey, you've made the right life pass. And now you're in Santines Valley and you're with an incredible guy for an opportunity, so to speak. No, there were boulders. And I had to prove my commitment. And I think you would have found that too yeah. going forward. Yeah. All right, so you're- Yeah, it's, it's now, so interesting. Yeah, yeah you moved to California, you're at Flag is Up Farm. So now what happens? 
So I went as a groom and I was really happy to be grooming. And I love to groom and I thought, this is it, simple lifestyle. I wake up in paradise, I will groom. And I too had the $1.6 million horses to get ready and was conditioning them and did the aqua tread and did it all and loved it. I had my eight stall, five stall and three stall, eight stall barn, loved it. And then um, for me, very quickly, Monty decided we're gonna open an international learning center. And we had six women happen to be women that were the research and development team. Well, all six had commitments in different places. They all went eventually back to their countries, their land, their commitments, and I ended up staying with an incredible guy, Crawford Hall, who's a paraplegic. And Crawford is Monty's, was Monty's head instructor, but also barn farm manager. And Crawford, Monty heads it. He gave it all to Crawford. Crawford gave it to me. And I ended up working alongside Crawford for all this time being his legs. And this was a big deal. So when you find yourself in a covered arena, a round pen, and you've got 200 people watching in those days, the miracle of the join up, because it's a fast cult start in those days. And so you've got somebody sat there in a wheelchair, basically stating, and what you're about to see is this, and Anna's about to do this. So I learned very fast to read horses through his eyes and doing what Crawford would do as an incredible horseman. And so I couldn't have asked for better training to be with somebody that had to see the intricacies have heightened awareness for the fact he was in a chair. Incredible man, he's still alive today. He walked me down the aisle, the second marriage I had. And um, he's been my cheerleader all along. Incredible, incredible guy. And so Monty, Crawford said it best, he said, Monty's allowing you to be in the saddle because I would look at it and go, I'm not really getting the praise that I need or I don't really get told anything until I do it wrong. And I'd go to Craw and I'd go, you know, what is that? I, and he'd, he'd walk, well, walk around in his chair and he'd go, what do you want, Anna? Do you just want to hear the yeses? And I said, yeah, I need some yeses. And he said, you're getting the greatest compliment. Monty's treating you like a horse. When you do it wrong, he's leaving you alone. But when you, do, sorry, when you do it wrong, he'll tell you. But when you do it right, he leaves you alone. And I'll never forget that because I go, I'm not a horse, Craw. I'm not yep. a horse. But the... The main thing, the message from that was, you're allowed to ride the horse. You're allowed to run this place. He is entrusting you with his baby, with his reputation. And I had to change it in my mind. Instead of going, you know what, I'm not getting the handholding I want, or I'm not getting the smile I want. No, you're getting the facility. And he is entrusting you, which is the greatest gift you'll ever have. And that really goes alongside the giving things up. We could either look at the loss or we can look at putting a step forward and the same here i could either look at it and go i'm not getting any recognition or realize you know what you're being empowered by the mere fact you're entrusted in it and it again took that processing to do that but i ended up becoming the head instructor alongside crawford and running the facility for many years wow yeah and you know it it's interesting because uh, you know, even like our horses, some horses need some praise, some horses just need quiet. Um, and when, and we have to learn how to deal with it if it's not coming in the way that we typically expect it. Like I've watched so many students watch another, say a professional teach and they go, why doesn't he do, why does, because that's not what he does. Appreciate yeah. what he does, not what he doesn't do. Go to someone yeah. else if that's what you need. And so we have to take responsibility. And I think that's yeah. what you did. You took responsibility for saying that I'm looking at it this way, but it's really, I have to flip it over. I have to flip it over. And I worked so hard, you know, so hard to get it right. So hard to be a voice for the horses. So hard to understand the concepts. And, um, and it was there. It was at Flaggers Up that, the visions started to come and I started to get little clips in the head to go, okay, you know, what is this? My background is science. My background is 
black, white, and gray for the law. And, you know, and, and Monty was based on science and structure and all of these things. Of course, there's feel there. So this was a whole new concept to go, okay, I know I'm an empath. I know that already and I'm feeling them and I know something's wrong if they're rearing and not wanting to come in or if they're not really performing, but nobody had taught me that. And so it's this piece of that is the shout. You and I know that in those days, I just thought, oh, that's the horse's character. That's the behavior. We've got to get them through it. And then you start questioning to go, but, but what if it's not just getting them through it? What if I'm sensing there's more to this and I need to act on what I'm sensing? What if I'm seeing a picture here and it's random? It's got nothing to do with my thought process. I need to investigate this. And nobody has taught me it. Nobody believes in it. People are talking about feel and this is this was a big one for me wendy because for probably well from 10 to 35 feel was always in the hand of the pressure the release what am i feeling tension or not in my body what am i seeing in the horse but the feel at around 35 that i started to look at was more my gut of my gut is churning my heart is heavy I'm sensing their fright, not seeing it, I'm sensing. And it began to shift into a different kind of field that is less spoken about. And that's the one that when I ended up leaving there, so that's 2003, I left there, I started to explore feel means, why is that Mustang jumping out the pen when arguably another person would go, there was no pressure there. There was no pressure there. Well, what was he feeling then? If there's no pressure, why did he do it? Didn't do it for no reason. And so it was investigating intention, perception, energy. And I, I really then, I call it the next generation horse whispering for the fact that I thought, you know what, here's Monty the first, I'm the second. But also, this is my second generation that I'm putting out there. And it's a second generation that isn't simply looking at pressure release techniques but they're coming back with my first impression my thought impacts the horse and so, that's where the telepathy started to come in that started I, I, I'm sorry I forgot his first Crawford the guy who walked you down the aisle yeah you think that that started yeah. there because because when you're working with a horse and you have someone else there that's guiding yeah. you have to be so quick you can't have a delay because because you just need to be immediate. So you would have to start setting up some sort of read, if you will, of that person. Yeah. So, so that's three of you actually working together. And I'm just wondering, yeah. you kind of started to notice it then. Well, Crawford would be like you're saying about three seconds ahead, he'd have to be. And he still had that little old school piece, which was if the horse was rearing, the rider's gonna go up anyway, because we're gonna do the, the cult start and it and for me i think shit <laughs> but i would it's this thing of shit is gonna rear something doesn't feel right but you know what you have the faith and belief in the horse and me i'll get the rider up and we could have faith in the rider because they were young cowboys and, and they were fine with that but it came really here i came back from australia i was in australia too for three months and i was fortunate i toured with monty for a month and then i was at the cattle station for a month. And then I also watched wild horses for a month. And when I came back, we were starting an instructor program and I'd written it in Australia, put it down on paper, was starting it. And I was the rider for one of these 30 minute rides. I remember her name. It was 23 Val, that was her name. I knew known her since she was a foal. And I probably knowing me wanted a rider because I knew her. And I'll never forget it. I know who's on the ground. I know 200 people were watching. And first ride up, <laughs> and she um, she did a suck back, dropped the shoulder, and I came off. And I'm humble enough, and I went, you know what? I'll get back on. And that was the philosophy, get back on. So I got back on, and maybe we'd try to trot, and um, she did the same thing. And I went, okay, I'm clearly not the rider for her because her first ride, I've come off twice. And it was the gut thing too, to go one, I should not get back on this horse, I'm the wrong rider, but two, this does not feel right. And pushing through doesn't feel right. She doesn't quite have the foundation she needs and I'm not skilled enough to take her that far. Well, long story longer, 
she had an incredible rider rider incredible young rider but here's the long story longer she was on the racetrack and she reared and she flipped over backwards and I now look at that to go wow not only was it logical for me to say she's being started a little fast for my liking also I'm not the right rider but down the road so this was weeks down the road when she's had a rider not fifth seventh time we were looking at probably two months down the road and part of me looks at it to go yeah your gut knew she was three swirled she had three swirled highly intelligent quite complex by nature she was a step ahead of every rider and my gut had said I am not the correct person for you your high skill level and so where does it come in I feel like Partially, one would read what the horse is doing through the body language to know what they're saying two, three seconds ahead. But there's still that gut piece to go, this doesn't feel right. Not that I'm incompetent, but more, there's something in my gut to say, yes, I could push through this, through this. I'm a cowgirl. But at the same time, it doesn't feel right to me. So, so I guess my point being that there was... yeah. Probably more of a gradual, it's sort of like when, when we get older, yes. we glasses. there's a gradual process. And then suddenly you've got to go to the eye doctor and get the glasses because you can't fake it anymore. And it sounds to me like there was a process going on. And then suddenly it's like, you put on the glasses to hear, to be able to feel, to yes. sense. but it's, 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 not, I guess my point is for my audience is this isn't something that just happens. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like somebody no. throws a switch. It's something that's gradually working in and we suddenly become conscious of it and acknowledge it. And I think that's the piece that you're describing for us is that there were these little stones, Hansel and Gretel, and then suddenly you're like, oh, there, that's what's going on. That's what I'm sensing and feeling. Yes. And in the police, we had great intuition. And although, again, that's not a lesson that anybody's taught, the intuition was there. And I can look back now and tell you this incident happened intuitive, this incident happened and my intuition saved my life so absolutely the intuition's there and then the growth came really by exploring the animal communication to go you know what there's one thing called intuition and that's the gut churning and the bodily whispers that we hear and it's a form of animal communication And then you realize that a lot of the audience believes animal communication is body language or they believe intuition is animal communication. Absolutely. All of it's a form of animal communication. But when you realize that you can talk to an animal from one continent to another, that you can change your horse's behavior, support in a diagnosis, look at saddle fitting, not touching the horse and give a voice to these horses to find out their nutritional program and their tack fitting, the rider error and the rider support from thousands of miles away now you truly understand the skill of animal communication. Right. So in 2003, I think you said you left like farm and then what? (laughs) Well, there's another burnout. So I thought you could only have one burnout in your lifetime. And the burnout was, was um, 1997, as I say that like that, because I had PTSD from it, but they didn't diagnose. And even if they did, I wouldn't have accepted it for me. PTSD would have been failing these women, even today, but it's hard for me to say I had that. So every every path led there. And then, you know, 2003 comes and I look at it to go, you know what, I'm burnt out with people right now. I've dealt with people since I'm 17. And so the Mustangs pulled on my heartstrings. And I ended up leaving. I'd already done wild horse walks for about five years for my students every weekend, pretty much. And so I was offered offered an opportunity to be a farm manager for a Mustang sanctuary up the road, coincidentally. And so I became the barn manager for about two years to take care of 320 acres up to about 200 Mustangs. And I decided two two reasons. Again, it was never one piece. It was always two. And it was, I need to retreat from people a little. I need a break from teaching. Um, And then I need also to realize, to realize, always smile, to realize, here's the thing, Wendy. The government had acknowledged me as top 5% in the world. So in order to become a green card holder, you either have money or you're the top 
and I'd been awarded the green card as the top 5% in the world. So there's a little piece of you humbly realizing, not ego, but humbly realizing, I'm, I must be good at what I do. I've been acknowledged as that. And I'm one of the few that can do it. And great. Well, <laughs> well, then you come across the Mustang and you go, this is a shit show. You want to really start horses in 30 minutes? There are a lot of holes in what you do. And you are, are the best. You're one of the best in the world at what you do. But you know what? You've just gone from one of the best right back down from the beginning again to realize everything you knew with domestic horses is a minute piece where the wild ones are concerned and that was the glory to go I'm pretty damn good at what I do but body language you're gonna have to hone in on it you're gonna have to learn about the eyes you're gonna have to learn about breath work you're gonna have to learn about the nuances because these mustangs are the encyclopedia encyclopedia of the language of the horse and they are masters at body language energy and telepathy so you thought you mastered body language, which I had to a degree, but now they're going to go, we're going to hold you responsible with the telepathic piece. And what does that even mean? Because people would think, well, you hold a picture and the body will follow. And that's how a lot of scientists will answer it. As you know, they might say, well, if you're as a athlete going to hold the picture, of course, the muscles will follow. But it's beyond that. You hold that picture, that Mustang could jump that pen by the mere fact you're thinking, I'm going to go and halter you now. And they've left. And the student comes back with, well, I didn't do anything. Yeah, you did. You held the wrong picture. And so here I was faced with the masters, because this is the other piece. People will think, oh, you're training the horse. <laughs> You know what? They're going to teach you telepathy. They're going to teach you mindset. They're going to teach you intuition. And they're all separate things. They're going to teach you that your intention was wrong with that Mustang. And so they teach you how to be in the present moment, but way beyond any domestic course. And that's what I moved into was managing the place and really exploring all of what I've just mentioned to go, you know what? You have me intrigued here. So how long were you at the Mustang Ranch? So I'd known, it was Return to Freedom, and I'd known her since 1998 and had gone regularly. And then I stayed two years. And, you know, I could easily have said I'd stay longer. But again, just like you, your journey took you. Um, and I, I felt very much like I lacked gratitude because I'm going, you just made it in one field. Now you want Mustangs. You've just made it being a Mustang rescuer in person and suddenly you want something else. It was as though I would get somewhere, do well at it and then have to move on. And again, I had to switch my mindset to go, you know what, you're not, a, you're not an ungrateful bitch. Honestly, I'm thinking, how much more? You're in bloody America. You're living the dream. You're just frigging ungrateful. And then nobody, again, nobody educated me on this to go, you're not. Because a lot of people in England would just go, you've got it all. Couldn't you just be happy? And friends around you would say, you've made it. Couldn't you just be happy? And I'm thinking, there's something seriously wrong with me. Until I could flip it to go, Anna, you're being groomed. You, you've stayed there. That's the piece you needed. You're okay. You love what you do. You're full of gratitude. This door is closing because another is opening and your job is to walk through it. It's not about close this door to look for one that's opening. The door is closing. You're having no choice. And instead of thinking you're lacking gratitude, can you see that this is your journey? Things that we weren't taught, you know, we would taught to look at it to go you're ungrateful or you're this or you're that you're not good enough and I had to start flipping it again to go you can stay humble but realize this is your calling you are being called here and you can resist and it will get ugly and so it was learning about going with that flow to go you're being called to go on the road you're being called to do clinics you have got a lot of experience to teach now so that, that's what happened. I ended up teaching that first year, had six clinics. 
But it, it reminds me so much, you know, some people want to argue I don't know if, you can say if there's such a thing as fate, but there's fate and both fate and free will, I think, play in here. The fate is the opportunity yes. that presents itself. The free will is the choice of that fate. Or we can argue it. We can deny it. We can turn around and say, I'm not going to go there. But, but I, you know, yeah. so I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's a combination. And uh, I so, again, I so relate to your story <laughs> because there's been so many times where it's, um, I've studied and learned from different people, but it was time to leave there to go for the next piece. And that's, that's just a process of education to become who we are supposed to be. Um, yeah. And yeah, so and I, I've called myself an, an overstayer, Wendy. I'm exceedingly loyal. So no matter what the person brings to the table, I will be loyal. And so I tended to overstay a lot of places. And that was also my piece of you've got to be full of gratitude. And they open the door, so you need to pay back for life. And I figured there's other ways to do that. There's other ways to honor the horse. There's other ways to honor the process. So when I said to you, we started cults in 30 minutes, people frown upon that and they have an awful lot of opinions around it. In 1997, that was state-of-the-art horsemanship. In 1997, the Queen endorsed it. In 1997, that was incredible beyond tradition. And so now it's very easy to fast forward and go, well, that's awful and that's this and that's that. Yeah, you weren't there in 1997 when tens of thousands of horses' lives. I mean, you and I have the problem of the 90s feeling like yesterday. (laughs) They were 20, there was a lot of people that were born. Yeah, that's true. It does feel like yesterday. I can see it like yesterday. Yeah, I know. I know the feeling because when people go to the 90s and I totally remember the 90s and I'm like, that was 20 something plus years ago. So, you know, we, we are. Yeah. Okay. So, so now you've, you leave the Mustang and then are you still in, you're still in California and you start doing clinics? Yes, I I did. Yeah. And I started doing clinics in Europe and um, in the United States, actually the East Coast. And then in 2005, because I started a business with Crawford, Crawford Horse Equine Connection, and then it became Reach Out to Horses. And by 2005, pretty much full time on the road. In fact, by 2007, you were looking at including online events, probably 50 workshops a year that I've sustained, 30 to 50. And it could have been a radio show through to a month's course, but I've had 30 to 50 since last year and kept on going on the road. And I've been fortunate on the road, as will you, your career has been vast. I've had some really cool opportunities to take natural horsemanship to China. I've been to Australia. I've been to Mongolia, to Morocco. So these are big, big places where I brought a voice to the horse. And I guess the best way to describe what I do, because I I often think about it, I'm a behaviorist. I'm an advocate for the horse and I'm a behaviorist that teaches the language, meaning body language and energy and animal communication. So what's wonderful about that is I can go to a therapeutic riding barn or in China, it was the Chinese endurance team or Sheikh Mohammed's horses or, or, or it can be your backyard owner. I don't mind as long as I'm giving a voice and interpreting for the horse so that if somebody does say, well, they're bad. And you, you know what? I was on a forum not that long ago and I've pulled out of forums and it, the advice was horrifying to me. Mm. The question was, what do you do with the horse that's biting? Nobody once asked what kind of bite. And the responses were use attack and put it in the face, bite them till they're bleeding, smack them with the two by four. This is not that long ago. And you're looking at it to go, how old? Well, one, it's never acceptable, but how old's the horse? And are they trying to snuggle? Are they asking you to pay attention? Nobody cared. It was simple horse bites. We whack them in the face. And you look at that to go, no, I'm your behaviorist. What if a child, a husband just taps you on the arm? Do you whack them in the face? So why aren't we looking at intention? And that's where it became more and more apparent that they need somebody to be their voice to say, they're not trying to hurt you. This is what they're trying to say, or this is what's caused it. And I ended up bringing nutrition in, 
you'll know the value of that but nutrition lifestyle breed age all of it to come back with it's different if they're biting at two versus 10 or it's different if they're six months old because they're feeling your your body and so on and and so I teach five WHs and one of it would be why you know let's look at the core why is this horse doing it so, I, I so that's what happened going on the road yeah I think it's so important um you know that I have always found and I've worked with other animal communicators and I can remember so clearly a time when a horse got a, a brand new custom saddle and the communicator was saying, well, the horse felt pressure in a certain place on his back. But I said, I asked her the question, has he ever felt that before? And the answer was no, because his right previous question. saddle hadn't fit. But if I hadn't asked the next question, they would have thought that this lovely brand new saddle, which fit beautifully, wasn't working right. And, and I think it's so important that we keep observing and asking questions. And that's from my Feldenkrais training, which is very Socratic, meaning ask questions, that's Socrates. Yeah is we you have to ask the next question because otherwise you're not dealing with all the information that's available and as we yeah we keep asking questions suddenly it comes to light oh well this happened or that or he wasn't feeling good or my friend did or the other day he lost his buddy uh, you know and it's 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 when we just try to take it as this one one data point it's so incomplete it's so does not represent and right. I'm you know um, most people are not good observers so they you know when they like people will ask me what surefoot pad should they have for their horse and they give me one little data point but that doesn't tell me the story that doesn't give me the information right. and then you have to draw that out and then you suddenly discover oh it's this and this and this and then we have a story or a picture I should say that we can work with um, and, and that I think is probably I'm sure um, not having well, I, I can actually speak to that funnily enough because I don't remember my sessions and I've I believe I've done um, I've worked at least 10,000 horses and people often don't believe it right and then I've also talked to approximately the same amount of animals and I never remember my sessions but the very story you're mentioning there, a client from Colorado called and she said it's it's somewhat of an emergency and it was about her horse. And so supporting professionals with determining pain. And it's exactly that thing that came up. Now, if I hadn't been a horsewoman, I wouldn't have asked the right questions, but I too feel it. So I feel it, I see pictures, I sense things, I hear things, I see words written, but I feel it in my body. And I remember exactly where I felt the discomfort. I can tell you now, it's just about on the right, not quite the last rib, exactly where the seat, the seat bone would sit of the human, right? So I'm looking at it going, okay, this is interesting. I know where it's sitting. And most people jump to conclusions. And then I'm looking at that going, no, but she moves fine in the paddock. I could see her move in the paddock, walk, trot, canter, fine. That goes, okay, you've got me interested. Then I watched her warming up with the saddle. So I asked the right question. I'm looking at that too going, without a human on, you're fine. Then I looked at the saddle and it felt like a glove. So the name came back with, you've had a saddle fitter. Your saddle fits, your horse sees lunging, is warming up emotionally, mentally, physically. There's not a problem there. When you turn her out, she's got plenty of turnout. So this must have been really weird for you. And you, uh, you're bringing me in because now you don't know from the vet and the saddle fitter and everything else. You don't know where to turn. So I'm looking at it going, okay, so it's the rider's weight. The saddle fits, but it's the rider's weight. So this is my deductive reasoning. And you cannot diagnose, now this is huge, you cannot diagnose because just like any human, you, don't, you know your symptoms, but you need a doctor and the doctor has to do the right test. So it's not like the doctor looks at you and says, you've got this, you test. So with the animal communication too, I can't diagnose. However, there was a but, and as a horsewoman, I went, this reminds me of kissing spine, just reminding me. I went, I can feel numbness around it. And it reminds me that it's nerve endings and I don't know what it is, you would need a vet, but it reminds me of, so if this were my horse, I would be getting a second, and be getting x-rays is what I said. I went, I would not ride her because she, and that was the other thing I saw, Wendy, I could see that this horse was tail swishing and bulking. So there's your confirmation. So, so instead of coming back with, she's bucking or this, I went, no, she's not. She's stopping and she's tail swishing. And people at the barn are telling you that it's behavior and to push her through. I went, I would not push her through 
And the reason she's telling you don't push her through because she's perfect at everything. So you know it's pain because she gives her best. She's perfect and this is an attitude. So if it were me, I'd get an x-ray to figure out why on earth she feels this numbness here. Yeah. Incredible pieces put together. Absolutely. And I, and you bring up such a good point that we, we don't diagnose with Surefoot. We don't diagnose. We're not of that. Um, but it, we get clues. We get yeah. uh, pieces of like a puzzle and then it's really going to the vets and getting that diagnosis. And we always talk on these webinars about the team that you need a team and animal communication, yeah. communication is a part of the team. When you've looked at other things, you know, that brings in an, uh, it, and I always think of, you know, uh, does this fit with what I'm also seeing? Does this fit with what I'm I'm watching? Yes. What the vet says and what the yeah. fair does this? Is it something completely from left field that doesn't make any? Well, it could be that, but does it fit with what I can see in front of me? And so I I do find it. Um, I've used animal communication a number of times and found it of incredible value um, in terms of helping me come to uh, go in a direction really to go to go um and you know and actually I don't know if you do grief counseling but I have found um that one of the places where animal communication has helped me the most is when my animals have passed and I've I've lost animals tragically and the grief was so overwhelming and when I used an animal communicator whom I trusted it the yeah, grief, huge it disappears it's it's fascinating because Animals don't look at it the same way we do. Um, yeah. And it's really- I, I do help people and um, many things I pick up on. One, I think it's a huge trust issue. And then the other piece is it's perception. And people need to remember that, that if you interview two parties, I always say husband and wife. And if you interviewed Vin and I, you'd get totally different stories of everything that happens in our life. He, he, there's not one- way that he would see it the same it doesn't matter and so that's the thing with animals is it's their perception and so you're seeing through the eyes of that animal for that moment in time which i think is incredible so when it comes to this pain management too it's their eyes they can perceive work versus rest pain levels they can say you know your saddle does fit do not get the saddle fitter in again it really does fit it's not the saddle so despite the fact it looks like it's the saddle here's the reasons it's not so it's a perception piece and then the animal communication which is incredible we don't see animals the same wendy after animal communication when you realize they're not livestock one you know this but when they people realize they're not livestock or when they look at them to go i wish my animal could hear me they can i wish my animal could understand me they can i wish i could speak to my animal you can i wish it was from the voice of the animal it is so beyond that they're teaching you they're teaching you why on earth you're here on this planet and so they will teach you there is life after death. No matter what the minister, the teacher, the parent has told you to believe, which is a repetition of a statement, they will teach you, you can talk to them after. And that can be frightening for individuals and even challenge belief patterns and life work. But on the other side, if we're open enough, we look at that to go, oh my goodness, it doesn't end here. I still have a connection with my loved one. That's incredible to think. And, and you know, I, and I want to put a little caveat in there. It is our perception that they, that they are there. So you don't, you don't have to necessarily believe in life after death. As long as you remember your animal, they are still alive for you. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I think that that's an, uh, an important piece um, because some people aren't, my mother didn't believe in it. Um, so right. people are very uncomfortable, but as long as we're alive and that memory is with us in our heart, then they do live for us, with us. Yes, they do. Um, and I'll tell you when, even when I get the skeptics and all those that are challenged by the belief pattern, it's really neat because the way I come through, I say it's evidence-based, it sounds terrible right now, but it wouldn't be a simple message if they love you. It might mean something like, you cut some of my hair, I'd love you to make a necklace out of it. It might mean you missed the way we cuddled if it was a cat, you missed the way we cuddled, but you'll still feel the warmth on the chest. And so there's always the piece to go, oh yes, I did cuddle them that way. 
It might mean that the dog says, I'm no longer there, but if you feel a touch on your right hand, I'm touching you like I used to with my nose. So there's always that piece to go. This isn't as simple as they love you or you'll remember them. There's always the extra piece to go. Absolutely, they did that when they were here and they're giving the piece that you can relate to. And I, I love that. I really, really love it to go. There's, there's more to it than a placebo. And there's more to it than making somebody feel good. But it's that piece to go, you feel that and you can connect with them in your dreams or you can connect in your favorite spot with them where you'll feel them in your heart, which is which is fantastic because like you, my dogs, I've got I've got a couple of horses that are soulmates. So that's kind of neat that you've got more than one soulmate. But my my dogs are my soulmates as well as my husband and so on. But they're my soulmates. You know, you see the lineup, horse, dog, husband, but they're soulmates. And that's a big thing to realize of, of I, I've lost you early because your body couldn't transport you and hold you longer, but we can still connect. And you're very much leaving a paw print on my heart or a hoof print on my heart. And that we need, I need, going forward to do the mission I'm doing I need to know that I'm not alone doing that it's it's a big deal Wendy we're we're out there on our own and I'm going to throw a statement out lonely on the top and again everything is only what we believe right but the truth is there is some lonely on the top and you're going out there trailblazing and you're going out making a difference and you're changing minds and it's not all warm and fuzzy it's not like the red carpet's out and you're eating well all the time and you're living in a castle I've done I've done that I was flown out to a castle but I can be in the double wide where there's fleas in there and the food is what I'm given and so it's that thing of we're not having perfect scenarios every time we travel when we're trailblazing people look down at you they they can call you satanic talking to animals. There's a lot of labels, a lot of challenges, and yet we rise above it for the good of the horse. We rise above it to bring the change. And for me, that means you're not walking this alone, Anna. You know, you, you've still got your loved ones in your heart to be cheerleading for you. Well, and you know, pe people fear what they don't understand. And, yeah. and that is really where it comes from. And, uh, you know, with Surefoot, it's the same thing. When I started, people, uh, it would be interesting what people would say to me um, because it was so, so different. Different. Um, and uh, like you, you know, you believe in what you believe in, you know what works and you just keep going. And the horses, the animals are the ones that reinforce us and keep yeah. us. I mean, I can't tell you that it's, I've always said with Surefoot, just look at the horse. Don't believe a word I say, watch the horse, right? And the horses show us. And so, you know, we're lucky because we have this biofeedback unit called a horse yeah. that's, that gives us the reinforcement to us and to the people around us to keep us going. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a circular, you know, we give to them, they give to us and, and we just keep going. Well, Anna, this, and I, I don't understand all of your sure foot for sure. I, um, I, and I never profess to because it would be this tiny bit that you go, okay, the whole new world has to open up there for me. And Honey, she's my buckskin mare. She's a Premarin from Canada. She's one of the offsprings. Honey loves your sure foot. Out of the three horses in that particular herd, Honey is the advocate. And she would be the one, she chooses the right ones. She adores it and you watch her balance herself. And you'd go, I don't know exactly what you're doing, honey. And I don't even know why you're touching that pad. And I don't know what colors represent what. And this is a whole new system I have to learn. But what I can see is you're choosing this right now. Mm -hmm. And then it would be Dr. Rachel Hart that would look and go, do you see this change? Do you just see this same thing? I'm not sure if I do. I know, I'm a, I know I travel the world, but I'm not quite sure I see what you see. But yes, I understand some of what you're saying. Because she's, again, her eye is in just incredible to watch it. But I could see my horses talk. That's what I can oh, see. This is so exciting because now that you have Surefoot and you have some horses, you'll be able to talk to the horses and let me know what they say about it because it's one of the things I've Good been point. so fascinated about. Yes. <laughs> um, point. Because it's because the horses yeah. are what show us that it's meaningful. But um, so I'm really looking forward to, to having you back and 
after you've had some time with Surefoot to, well, to thank you. tell us what the horses have to say. I'm so excited about that. A little note on that one. One of my students is in Oregon and one of her Mustangs chose to step on it too. And he's reserved, guarded, potentially could go back into the wild. He's not seeking human interaction really. But when you see the wild ones choosing it too, because this is a domestic piece of support mm. and you watch it to go, okay, here's an individual domestic, here's a wild one figuring out what this means to his body. So where I'm heading with that is I, there's that emotional component too that I'm not sure if anybody would eat anybody meaning people that are using your stuff not you anybody would look at but I've watched them do the pads for emotional reasons as well yeah yeah I'm sure of it well so it's really it's neat been absolutely fascinating to get to know you and to hear your story well, thank you wound up here if people want to know more about you where can they find you we are under reachouttohorses.com. And although that doesn't necessarily explain the animal communication or the energy healing piece, um, Reach Out to Horses is the name. And somebody had mentioned a book. I've just released three books and I've <laughs> written three more, but I do need the time to get those books out there. But um, if you're interested in the next generation natural horsemanship, we've got, oh, are you okay? we've got beyond the barn and um like you we've put out some dvds to books dvds online platform it's all there they can find everything in our outdated website it's top of the list now it's under reachouttohorses.com awesome well thank you so much for joining me today this has been a pleasure and it's nice to have you on the east coast now <laughs> It's been really lovely. I didn't know what to expect either, Wendy. So for the, everybody's watching, if you thought there was a script, there wasn't. If you yep. thought there was a conversation prior, there was not. And if you think anything that we talked about, nope, we didn't know. So it's very ad-lib, very much in the flow and very much appreciated. I had no idea what we would be doing and really, really enjoyed it. And please know it really enjoyed getting to know you too this way. Um, and I do look forward to meeting you one day. And we're opening Whispering Feather Farm. We're opening Whispering Feather Farm here in Millspring, North Carolina, Wendy. So with you being on the road, I hope one day to be able to host you here and have you join our farm because um, I'm getting tearful with us, silly, but um, you <laughs> definitely, you speak, away, considering. you speak my language, you yeah. know, you speak my language and, and we're in it for the horses. You know, so we, we have to be in it for the people and I love people, but we're in it to give the true voice for the horse. And it's lovely to meet somebody that has dedicated her life to it. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And just remember to go to, yes. to um, oh, I've got YouTube, our YouTube channel. All the webinars are there. We're up to almost 160 webinars. So lots of great information. And I think... I've forgotten who my next guest is. I can't keep track anymore, um, but we'll see you again soon. So thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye, Anna. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye Wendy.